Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Lincoln Journal Star's Life in the Red podcast. Luke Mullen, Amy Just, Ian Wilson-Moore. Once again, episode two of our new season. Uh, and it's a, it's a big one. Hey, a lot of stuff has happened in, you know, a week. A week plus since we've uh, got here, namely some crazy, crazy conference realignment in college football. We'll get to and other sports. Yes, yes. Not, I mean, football's driving it, but other sports are affected by this. It's not just football. Come on. Okay. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Off to a rough start. Yeah. <laughs> but we we really want to preview uh, the Nebraska offense. We'll get to the defense and a full schedule breakdown. Uh, in the two weeks after this. But today we'll be focused on the offense, have some takeaways to share from first week of practice, a lot going on. Volleyball starting practicing as well. Uh, the men's and women's basketball teams uh, making some international trips, news on that front as well. So that's that's the, the slate that we have today. Uh, but as I mentioned, conference realignment, uh, this happened very, very soon after our last episode. So maybe we're a little late to, <laughs> to begin to it, but really worth discussing, you know, how this impacts Nebraska and Right at the top of that list is the changing Big Ten. I mean, we saw USC, we saw UCLA, and now Oregon and Washington. They're uh, they're joining the party. Yeah. So in honor of this wave of conference realignment, uh, for those listening, sorry you don't get to see it, but those watching, I am wearing a 2009 uh, Big 12 basketball tournament t-shirt that has Mizzou, Nebraska, Colorado, Texas A&M. It, it's one of my favorite shirts. It's got holes in it, but I just figured I should probably wear it today in in celebration of uh, the next wave of chaos that we are currently riding. Um, R.I.P. to the old Big 12. Uh, I don't know who half of the teams are in that rose, conference anymore. It rose from the ashes, it though. It did, though. We, we, thought, all, we thought it was done. We all thought yeah. the Big 12 was going to be the conference to die, but nope. It's, uh, it's very zombie-esque, but... Yeah, I think that this was inevitable uh, with all of the TV changes. Um, the column that I wrote last week, yeah, last week, I don't know what day it is anymore. Um, it's just, it's about the death of the big, jeez, uh, too many numbers, uh, the, the death of the Pac-12 and what happened uh, to get us to this point, uh, ineffective leadership from the Pac-12. Um, this commissioner, this past commissioner, just kicking the ball, you know, down the field. Um, just, I mean, punting on every decision that they could have possibly made instead of being aggressive and trying to make uh, bigger deals. Um, the new TV deal, TV in air quotes, um, that they were going to sign was with Apple TV. You can't, like, I know streaming is the way forward, but you still need to work with the big dogs, whether that be CBS, NBC, Fox, or ESPN. Like, you need to be involved with one of those big players. Otherwise, you're going to see what happened here. And teams saw the writing on the wall and 
jumped ship. Um, and Oregon and Washington are beneficiaries of that for the Big Ten. And then you have Colorado. Um, time is a flat circle. They're going back to the Big 12. <laughs> then you've got Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, um, and Utah going um, to the Big 12 too. So, I mean, everything is a mess. I do not believe we are done. Um, there are four teams in the Pac-12 slash four left remaining. That's uh, Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, and uh, Washington State. What's going to happen with those guys? It's been reported that the ACC is really interested in Cal and Stanford. I don't know if I like that per se. Um, Instead of the, you know, Atlantic Coast Conference, the, you know, the Atlantic California Conference. But yeah, I regardless of what happens, I think Washington State and Oregon State get left behind. And that's just the state of how things are now. And it's really sad. Um, looking back, um, Nebraska's decision to go to the Big Ten when it did um, looks better and better by the year, by the day. Um and I will have another column on this uh, on Sunday. I sat down with Trev for two hours talking about everything under the sun, including a big chunk of it on realignment and what he thinks is going to happen in the coming weeks, years. Um, and I found it all very fascinating. So it's a very interesting time for college athletics. And I don't know where we're going to go from here, but it's not going to stay uh like it is it will be constantly evolving yeah the the status quo as we know it you know the conferences that you grew up watching these teams some of the rivalries of course you know you're talking about the old big 12 you know we're talking about the, the loss of some of those rivalries and now it's like oregon oregon state you know washington washington state these big in-state rivalries as well gone uh, but i think a, a really good point that you bring up is nebraska's timing to jump to the big 10 like in hindsight, you just kind of look back and the last, you know, 10 plus years of college football and just college athletics in general have just changed so much. You know, the different, you know, money, the payouts, TV deals, like all sorts of different factors uh, that have kind of led to this point. And you look at those networks that those conferences created, like ACC and SEC networks, very accessible, ESPN, you know, the Longhorn Network yes, within absolutely. ESPN, which helped drive part of the last wave of realignment with um, the Big 12 because, um, you know, people were upset that, you know, Texas was getting special treatment from ESPN. Um, but yeah, things have changed radically, drastically um, since then, and they will continue to do so. Yeah. And I mean, sorry for <laughs> totally fine, but I'm. My point is, you know, Big Ten Network, like obviously we're in we're in Big Ten country here, but I feel like that was also very accessible in a lot of like different cable packages and whatever. Pac-12 Network, on the other hand, that got buried a lot of the time. That's part of the issue. You know, the the time slot that they played into, that was a common thing for schools that like, you know, we're looking to the college football playoff, like no one's staying up to 9 p.m., you know, to watch us play. So that was another factor. But I just think the aggressiveness of the Big Ten, you look at like Jim Delaney's time as commissioner, SEC was also obviously very aggressive. Pac-12 just kind of sat on their hands, as you mentioned, and just kind of watched everything pass them by. And now it's it's dissolved. It's gone. Yeah, it's it's sad because the Pac-12 was a conference. 
say was, like it's dead. There's still one more year, and then who knows what the zombie pack, whatever, will look like moving forward. But and that was one of the oldest conferences in collegiate athletics. And then just a few decades of incompetence paired with, you know, greed for TV dollars uh, killed it. It's it's sad. No, no one benefits from this. Like, some rich people get richer, but... The, pl- the players don't benefit, the athletes don't benefit, the fans don't benefit. Like, that's just an example of just, I think you wrote something similar to the same. You just, another thing ruined in the pursuit of the almighty dollar. Yep, precisely. Yeah. But I think you see national, people that are thinking about, you know, college football nationally are like, oh, it's great to have like this brand of, like, you know, you can have Wisconsin playing Oregon and, you know, USC playing Ohio State. It's like, yes, these are great games, but... I think, you know, the regional localized feel of college football, that's like a special thing that the sport had. And you see things like this and it, it just makes you think like, OK, like that's that aspect of the sport is, is really dying in, in a lot of cases. Yeah, it's slowly turning towards like NFL ish yep. type, um, not necessarily the play, but just all of the travel that will be involved. But. You know, if Nebraska has, you know, back-to-back games on the West Coast like the New Orleans Saints did, they can't stay in Seattle for a week and practice. Like, they've got to come back and go to class and do all of those things. So it's a a delicate balance with, um, you know, what they have to do to, you know, be like the student part of student-athletes. And, yeah, it's going to be tough. And that's – we're just talking football. I'm not talking about basketball when you've got to – you know, let's say Penn State has a, you know, a Tuesday night game at, you know, in Seattle. They're not going to get back to the East Coast until like six in the morning. You expect them to go to class at eight? No. Like, what are we doing here? So um, as I talked with Trev and I keep, uh, you know, teasing my column, um, there's definitely a lot of work to be done on that front. Um, and scheduling is going to be very, very important. I think I think about this a lot in terms of the you know Olympic sports, all the different types of um, you know baseball and softball in particular stand out to me because you know they have you know three, four game weekend series. If you're traveling all the way across the country, you know you've got a travel day. They'll, during the season, I mean, these athletes will be spending more time traveling out on the road than they will actually on on their campus a lot of these weeks. Um, so that, you know, that's a, a very difficult situation. Saw a lot of Oregon softball players in particular. That's a, a really strong program up there uh, that were, were displeased with all the travel that was going to be maybe going into, you know, moving to the Big Ten. So it's kind of a give and take. It's like, yes, these, uh, these overall big drastic changes are, you know, uh, they're changing the sport. There's a lot of good to them, but the trickle down effect, you know, some of the different aspects have you, as you mentioned, that these athletic departments are now going to have to deal with in the next year or two. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to follow. It wouldn't. Oh, sorry. It wouldn't surprise me um, if you have a bunch of athletic directors and uh, directors of operations for all of these teams calling the fine folks at the University of Hawaii uh, to see what they do, how they plan, because um, it's going to be very similar in terms of just all of the travel that Hawaii has to mm-hmm. do. Um, and what a lot of these other power teams are going to have to be doing in the future. Yeah, thoughts on on realignment? Yes, I was just going to say, it makes me wonder how, 
Yeah, you bring up specifically baseball and softball, how that affects the teams left behind, the four left in the Pac-12 right now. You know, you got like Oregon State is a baseball powerhouse. Stanford, baseball and softball is, you know. In every consistently, sport. Consistently, yeah, top, top 25. Who are they going to play? You know, is it is Oregon State going to just be beating up on like, you know, the Boise States of the world every spring now? You know, if they're not playing, you know, other good programs like Oregon, you know, what happens there? It make, it'll be a weird like setup depending on what happens, happens, which we don't know, but just scheduling that will be strange. Yeah. And Stanford, like they're not just good in baseball and softball. They're really good in volleyball. Nebraska's playing there this year. That's going to be cool. Um, they have Stanford has the most national championships of any university in the country. And they're the team that gets left behind. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great athletic department. They will, uh, they'll land somewhere soon. We'll see what, what happens there with the Pac-12. But that's our, our realignment thoughts as they were getting them all out. And getting back to Nebraska now, we've, uh, we've gotten the chance to see more of this team. You know, they've been undergoing fall practice now a, a pretty much a week and a half in. Uh, we've seen a little bit of portions of open practice, too, talking to coaches and players. Uh, again, kind of the whole, whole view of the roster. But a few different updates, things we've learned uh, to discuss real quick. Uh, a change on the defense. Miles Farmer was suspended. Uh, as they got into fall camp, he wasn't part of the 120-man roster, wasn't with the team, and then entered the transfer portal a couple days later. Uh, a loss for the defense. You know, a guy who who played a lot last year, played at a very high level, uh, but it was, it was pretty clear, you know, rule was he was opening the door to Miles, but at the same time, he was kind of saying that, you know, it's it's a standard that he wants to set and you know, they've, they've been very clear about following through with that, um, that kind of message of unity um, and, you know, working together. So a loss for the defense, but uh, a lot of guys ready to step up as well. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said on a previous podcast, you know, I think Miles is a very talented player. And, you know, Nebraska um, will, uh, will miss him in that regard. Um, he's been a staple for this team. But, you know, the door was open. Um, and we don't know what happened, right? We don't know what led to his suspension. We were not privy to those details, um, but hopefully he can find a, a new spot and can flourish there. Yep. Wish him the best, uh, in that venture, but, uh, rough news too, on the injury updates, you know, some of this stuff is always going to happen, uh, but two players already, uh, out for the year that Matt Rule has confirmed Brody Tagaloa uh, last week from a car accident. And then Maverick Noonan, um, who injured? Who was injured in practice? Injured his knee. Uh, needed surgery. Rule said it was not an ACL, uh, but pretty much a six-month recovery process for Noonan. There, uh, pretty unfortunate. He was uh, having had had a nice uh, impact there, moving in a Jack linebacker. People were uh, the the defensive coaches were pretty excited about his future there. So he'll come back. He'll still have all his eligibility, but uh, pretty unfortunate for him to to miss out on the fall. Yeah, I just my heart goes out to him and to Brody. Um, yep. You know, life happens, uh, freak things happen, um, but you hope that um, they get the support that they need because rehab can be a very lonely time, um, especially for Brody, who's not here right now. He's out with his family. So hopefully Nebraska is still finding ways to support him, um, even though he is recovering uh, back at home in California. Yep. So those two young players uh, not in the mix for the Huskers this season, but what we have seen 
from the players. And it seems like everyone that we talked to is eager to talk about what they did in the off season, you know, the nutrition plan that they had to follow, the, the lifting that they did, just the overall kind of team aspect of all those things. Lots of players talking about how, you know, they leaned out a little bit, shed some weight where they needed to, guys that wanted to bulk up, you know, added 10, 15, 20 pounds. And everybody keeps going back to Corey Campbell, Kristen Coggin, uh, these two heads of these programs uh, that, that everybody is is really positive and, and saying great things about. You know, obviously there's, you know, the on-field aspect, you got to translate, you know, these physical improvements. But I, I think it's a great sign of progress how everybody seems to be on the same page about these things. And they're all united about saying how how good they feel physically after this offseason program. Yeah, and it seems to go especially hand in hand. I think of the defense when I think of this because Tony White's been real big on we want guys to be able to play everywhere. If you're a lineman, we want you to be able to play in the interior, line up on the edge. Safeties have to be able to play corner. Corners have to be able to play safety. So it seems to really kind of fit in with this whole uh, kind of push. Okay, guys are kind of leaning out, getting more athletic, just kind of getting more malleable, more versatile, and just able to do more. It kind of fits in with that. Husker speed does Husker it all the time. Speed. You can't you can't go five you can't go three minutes probably without him uh, talking about a guy who's Husker got Husker speed, speed. dominant contact. Yep. That's right, good stuff. But I think it's you know it's just a, a positive, especially a lot of a lot of the offensive linemen um, talking about the mobility work too being very big. You know that's that's position wide too, and it goes in with that idea of Husker speed. I think just kind of wanting guys that can range, you know, sideline to sideline there on defense, you know, on offense, be explosive. So that's kind of the mindset, uh, really positive impact that we've heard so far from those programs. Uh, so good news on that front, but wide receiver depth being tested a little bit. Uh, we heard earlier in camp, uh, Josh Fleeks, uh, Baylor transfer. He was sent home for a few days for reporting to camp overweight. He's now back with the team. Uh, we saw him practicing and you've got Marcus Washington returning player, uh, you know, really going to be relied on a lot this fall, but he entered, he had a little bit of a hand injury uh, that had limited him. And then once he got back to full health, landed awkwardly in practice, uh, tweaked his leg. Xavier Betts and Malachi Coleman also did not practice on Tuesday uh, when we saw that open bit of practice. So a few question marks there, wide receiver. They'll figure it out. I'm not worried yet. Oh, there's only what, you know, three weeks? They got plenty yeah, of time. Yeah. I'm not worried yet. Now, if we were talking about this on the Monday before yep. the season opener, that would ring some alarm bells. But right now, look, like these guys had, they didn't have the summer off, but they were doing different things. And so naturally, you know, things start to crop up after you practice for six days straight. And uh, you're going at an intensity that you haven't necessarily gone at for several months. So I wouldn't be worried yet. Um, but if these things continue to linger towards, uh, the middle and end of training camp, that's where you might have a problem. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, this stuff is pretty common. Guys get dinged up, miss a day or two, you know, recover. They just need, you know, just need some time to heal up. But like you said, I just hope it's not, you know, some sort of like muscle issue or something mm -hmm. that would uh, would carry through. So those are kind of the personnel updates. Uh, and we want to move into our, our offense preview. We'll get into a few other uh, topics, Jeff Sims, you know, the, the scope of the offense. But couple questions we want to pose, some different players uh, to give some some time to we want to talk about. So the first question we got today is who will be Mr. Dependable for this Nebraska offense? Not Jeff Sims, because he's going to be touching the ball on every play. <laughs> but apart from him, uh, who stands out? Uh, so if Nebraska 
runs the ball as much as they say that they're going to, I think Mr. Dependable will be Anthony Grant. Um, if he's, you know, carrying the ball, has 10 to 15 touches per game, what that'll look like. Um, you said most dependable, not most valuable, but I think um, he will be in the mix for that um, moving forward because he was one of those Mr. Dependable guys last year too. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's a great point about his usage. Like he gets 20, you know, he gets 20 carries. He got pretty tired, you know, last year. Conditioning is a big factor, especially late in the year. You know, these big, these big defensive fronts that he'll be going up against uh, in conference teams. And it seems like from the staff too, you know, they've, they've got a couple years of pro coaching experience. Like they know what a good running back by committee looks like. And you got Gabe Irvin, you got Ramir Johnson. Those guys are going to be in there. But Anthony Grant, you know, has that kind of consistent guy that you want to run a lot. I mean, he, he fits in, he fits in definitely. Well, for me, I'm going to, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to say two guys. Uh, I like to kind of, Test the rules here. <laughs> you made the, the questions. Made. They are right. your rules. <laughs> That's right. You make them, you can break them. Um, <laughs> so I got I got two guys along the offensive line uh, who I think are going to be just complete maulers there on the interior. Ben Scott and Ethan Piper. Um, Scott, in particular, experienced lineman, you know, coming from Arizona State. Uh, he settled in very well. Um, you're going to need him to make all the calls, get everybody aligned on the same page. Um, you know, yes, they're going to be huddling up, but there's lots of situations where, you know, defenses are shifting around. You need your center uh, to be experienced and and have that knowledge. And I think Scott fits in there. And then Ethan Piper as well, a guy who I think has just totally improved over the last couple of years, um, looks as good as ever from what we've seen so far in spring practice, moving really well. Um, you know, one of the the team representatives at Big Ten Media Days, really good to hear what he had to say there as well. So I think those two guys just going to be super consistent all year long. Piper can play a lot of different spots there on the interior and and Scott, he's gonna be he's gonna be there day in, day out at center. So I like I like both those guys there. My Mr. Dependable is Marcus Washington. I think he was the pretty clear uh second best receiver on uh, the team last year after Trey Palmer. Palmer's gone and Washington is in position to be the guy. You know, there's this isn't a super experienced uh, gr- group of receivers, and he has a chance to kind of be that guy, be the not to use the same word twice, but dependable, just kind of steady hand in the middle of all that as everyone else, you know, the younger, more intriguing players like Malachi Coleman kind of develop. Yeah, I like him. I like him a lot as kind of like an intermediate route runner, you know, has a little bit of that deep threat too. He's, you know, he's got good hands out there as well. But I think what we saw last year was like, he only got, he only got targeted, you know, three, four times a game. So it's, I think the question is going to be, does he have the volume? Is, you know, is he breaking open often enough for, for Sims to target him? And I think he's a strong route runner. So I like, I like the pick, like it. And moving on to our other question, um, kind of a, a breakout candidate or maybe just a player that you're excited to watch, uh, somebody who you think is in for a strong campaign. Amy, I'll start with you again. For our longtime listeners of the pod, my answer will not surprise you. Uh, ben Scott, like everything that you said about him previously is what I'm looking for. Um, Nebraska needs a um, just reliable, dominant offensive line play, and that starts with your center. And I think that he was the perfect pickup for them in the offseason, and I am excited to see him work. Absolutely. I mean, echoed all the thoughts that I, I said. So definitely 
he's going to be there all season long. Um, but for me, a guy who I think people are just excited to see him on the field, Thomas Fedoni. I mean, one of the most talented players on this team. People have been eager to see him contribute, just catch a couple passes, you know, get out there. And so far, so good. Looks awesome, you know, moving quick. Uh, we got to see him a little bit working with the offensive line, actually doing some blocking assignments there on Tuesday. You know, he was pulling. He was uh, he was getting off the line of scrimmage very quickly. Um, still has a brace on one of his knees. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're always going to have that kind of question mark. But everything from his mentality is just incredible. Every time we hear him talk about, you know, having full confidence coming back from these injuries, like he still believes in himself. He believes he can be one of the best tight ends in college football. And I'm just excited to see him out there. I mean, I don't know if he's going to, you know, catch 25, 30, 35 passes this year, but I know he's going to be a contributor. I know he's, uh, he's just as excited as anybody to, to get out there and finally play. So Fedoni, uh, that's mine. And Wilson, how about you? Yep. Going with Billy Kemp, the fourth on this one. I think he's, uh, I'm just really interested in what he can bring. Cause he has a kind of, he has a unique skill set. He's a smaller guy, a guy you can line up in the slot think someone you want to get out in space we saw him do a little bit of that in the spring game I think he can just add a kind of wrinkle to the offense that wasn't totally there um a year ago he can also um by all accounts he's also going to be the punt returner this year um Ed Foley when we talked to him the other day said uh kick returner is still up for is still up for grabs punt returner that's that's Billy Kemp and Isaiah Garcia Castaneda which none of that is surprising um just with the the versatility that those guys bring. Uh, Wilson is your favorite position wide receiver. I mean, you go with Marcus Washington yep. and Billy Kemp. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, we we can't we couldn't say Jeff Sims, so uh, that eliminates one position. That, <laughs> Fair enough. You two collectively had offensive line, running back, and tight end covered. Well, I mean. There's no rules. Um, I guess we have to check with the rule book himself, but there's yeah. no rules saying that you couldn't pick the same person. But I, I like I like the Billy Kemp. I mean, he's a he's the obvious pick to just to lead the team in catches this year. Uh, he's going to be great on those short, intermediate routes. Very agile, breaks open quickly. Um, so I think he's going to be excellent. And I got to give I got to throw one more name in there uh, before oh, we move Lordy. on. Janir and Bonner. I yeah. mean, he is going to be Good really one. interesting to see. I really liked how they used him at fullback, you know, from the little bit that we saw in the spring and then they're in the spring game, um, you know, still catches a lot of passes too. very athletic guy. Uh, you get the feeling that they're going to get him out there, you know, rotate him in, rotate him out. You know, you don't really know when he's going to make his impact, but I think he's going to be he's going to be somebody to watch for uh, for picking up some big plays there. So that's what we got. You know, those uh, players to watch breakout candidates, um, a few other things to talk about with this offense. Um, just kind of the the overall aims or the format, you know, that they're going to set up in the pro style offense uh, that Marcus Soderfield wants to bring, wanting to huddle, wanting to run the ball. They've got the fullback. You think the play action pass is going to be a big part of things uh, using Jeff Sims legs, you know, maybe to scramble a lot. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a, an adjustment, you know, for maybe what Nebraska fans saw in the last couple of years. But I think it's it's going to be very, very well aligned. A, what the personnel that they have, and then B, I mean, this is this is what Rule wants to do. You know, he talked about the time that he had at Temple. That's something that he he talks about a lot, like playing eye formation, you know, using a fullback, two tight ends, you know, that kind of power football. He's uh he's very excited about kind of having some of those aspects here. Good. I don't think I need to uh, elaborate <laughs> anymore. I like it. I 
<clears throat> am a fan. Moving on. Noted. Noted. Run the ball advocate. <laughs> run just over the here. Ball. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Pro fullback. Pro style offense. Perfect. And having Jeff Sims in that equation, I think, is going to totally unlock those different aspects. As I mentioned, you know, play action, getting him rolling out, making sure that he's able to get outside the pocket, use his legs, uh, keep the defense honest. And he's got a really good arm from what we've seen in practice, too. I mean, he is he slings it to these wide receivers. Yeah, Jeff Sims, I know we've used this word a lot, this, talked about this a lot, but I think he seems like just a stabilizing force. This offense. I think we saw that a lot in the spring game, especially when he was contrasted with, you know, Chubba Purdy and Heinrich Harburg, who you could tell which one had been there before, which one had played quarterback as had played quarterback in college football before. Jeff Sims has just been the adult in the room every time we've seen him on offense. Yeah, very calm, good presence. That's what you want from a quarterback, good leader. Uh, he's developed. He's talked about how he's developed in that as well. So. He's the guy that, you know, all the eyes are going to be on there at the quarterback position. But you look at the guys in front of him, the offensive line, um, you know, some some struggles, pass protection. Casey Thompson got beat up last year. Uh, so going to need to keep Sims healthy. And this offensive line, I think the big thing that you're looking at is these guys got that experience last year, the mobility training, you know, the different aspects of their play. They're going to be asked to do Similar things, you know, you've got the same coach, Donovan Rayola, who Matt Roll talks about all the time. They've got the same offensive line philosophy. Uh, but I think they're they're really looking to, for these guys to to make a step up. And the big addition, you know, you, you get Scott coming in, Nerdy Nooley, he's back. Uh, you know, Teddy Prohaska hopefully coming back from injury at some point. You've got guys like Turner Corcoran, Ethan Piper, who are versatile, play all over. I think there's there's just a lot of different factors where you think, hey, this offensive line is going to be better than it was a year ago. The biggest thing for me is can they stay healthy? And I don't know. You know, like I think yep. that Teddy is a really good offensive lineman, but he just can't find a way to get on the field. Like I feel bad for the guy. And then, again, you know, who knows what this means? We did not get clarity on it. Um but uh, Nuri was in a green jersey yesterday at practice. What does that mean? Um, is he hurt? Is he working through something? Um, how long will that be? We don't know right now. Um, he looked fine, so hopefully not terribly long. But I'm not a doctor. Disclaimer on that. So, yeah, that's the one thing that concerns me is they don't have a whole lot of depth, mm -hmm. experienced depth. Yep. And if they can't stay healthy – what does that mean for the offense? And I don't like the answer to that question. Yeah, we've seen that, we've seen that a lot with Nebraska in years past. Start off, you know, September, you feel good about the line. It gets to October, you know, they have two or three injuries and suddenly things start sliding a little bit. So definite, definitely uh, the point to remember for them, uh, staying healthy. And yeah, I think that's good for our offensive preview. Uh, we've got some other Nebraska sports to talk about. Of course, uh, the volleyball team, uh, starting their practice as well uh, recently, Amy, you were there for for media day. You got the chance to talk to some of these players, but want to start with your I, I wouldn't call it a sit down, call it a walk around, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, uh, with John Cook, you went hiking with him, which is super cool, by the way. Yeah, it was a lot yeah. of fun. Um, so yeah, um, for those who missed it, I had a pretty big Sunday story on the front page about just 
why John Cook feels drawn to Wyoming, what it does for him up there, and uh, just wanted to see him in his element. Obviously, you know, one of the you know, core pillars of, you know, capital J journalism is to show, not tell. And so I wanted to see it for myself so I could be able to, you know, paint a better picture of what it looks like, what it feels like out there. It was wild. I'm going back and transcribing um, my interviews. And one of the interviews that I have with him when we're sitting down and talking on his porch you can hear the horses in the background. You can hear the crickets in the background. And I'm like, yeah, I can't say I've had a, another interview quite like that before. But it was an eye-opening experience for me just to see him in his element and get away from all the volleyball stuff. And we we talked about volleyball a lot, a lot, a lot. But that was not the, the purpose of the story. I mean, we were talking for hours upon hours upon hours about literally everything. And so it was really hard to get a narrow focus for that story, but I'm pleased with how it turned out. And I I can see it. I can feel it. Why um, he feels so refreshed and rejuvenated when he goes out there. And, you know, he said that it has helped him, uh, you know, become a better coach and, you know, extend his coaching career, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Loved, loved hearing just kind of John Cook and his element, you know, out there, it's a, it's great to get that perspective about him as a person. And really, I took away from your story too, when he was talking about how good he feels, how he's coaching better than ever. It's like, okay, like he's, he's fired up about, about this team and good reason too. Um, as, as we move on to talk about these incoming freshmen, um, the experience that they picked up and rolling early, went on this trip to Brazil. And now that they're starting practice, it's like, okay, they fit in. They don't really look like freshmen. They're just full-blown members of the team who are who are ready to play. Yeah, that was my story. That was in today's newspaper. Um, so I caught up with all five of the freshmen um, during media days, and then I went to practice and just solely tried watching them at practice. And they, you wouldn't know that they were freshmen. And you know, yes, they are freshmen, but. No, they're really not. Like, they've been here since January. They've been through a full beach season. They went through the their full spring slate. They went through uh, summer training, and they had their trip to Brazil where they were together and played, like, six matches. Um, that's a lot of collegiate experience for a freshman. It's a ton. And, like, mm-hmm. yesterday was their first day of, like, fall practice. So... Yeah, it's wild how much experience these guys have coming in. And then you pair that with all of their club experience and their Team USA experience. And yeah, no. They may be freshmen on the roster, but they are not freshmen in uh, practicality. And I think several of them will have major, major roles on this team this season. Yeah, I mean, you just look at the roster composition, like it just skews younger that way. Like they don't have those, you know, seniors who have just been around for like years and years. It's like... The players that are older, they kind of were the same way, like come in as freshmen, you know, play early, develop quickly. And so I think uh, just having that experience, you know, they've they've clearly bonded so well, developed that chemistry. Um, you know, it's and it's clear, like I said, that, that Cook really believes in those players as well. Oh, yeah. Like he he said in, you know, the story that I uh, had on Sunday, he's recruiting better than he ever has. And you look at this freshman class and yeah, yeah, he is. So no slowing down for them. We'll look for uh, more updates and, of 
course, Volleyball Day in Nebraska, that will be coming up in a few weeks as well. So we will uh, we'll get into that for a full podcast episode uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks as well. Uh, but moving on to Nebraska ball, men's and basketball, uh, men's and women's basketball teams, uh, both having international trips as well. Uh, both went very well. Nebraska women's basketball went 3-0 on their trip to Greece, uh, outscored their opponents 336 to 115, including a 106-point win over the Creed All-Stars in their final game. Uh, yeah, that that probably felt uh, pretty good. <laughs> went by over 100 points. Uh, so good job to them. Hope it was a good experience, a uh, good trip. And the men's basketball team also 3-0 on their trip to Spain, um, you know, coming together as a team. But unfortunately, kind of underscored by big news of the week for the men's basketball team. Um, Aaron Ulis, the guard transferred in from Iowa, uh, was charged uh, legally with tampering with records, alleged to have placed approximately 1,850 sports bets uh, during his time at Iowa, including one on Iowa football, and did not play in Spain as this news came out. Amy, you kind of had to deal with some of this, you know, figure out what was kind of going on. What what did you kind of learn about Ulysses' situation and, and how that affects Nebraska? Yeah, so I have the um, the full document from uh, the Iowa court system, and it lays out a pretty compelling case against Aaron. Obviously, these are all allegations, but it's it's not looking good. Um, you know, if these are true, um, especially the Iowa football bet. Um, so how it works is, and we're not talking about the legal situation right now. We're just going to talk about the the NCAA situation. Yep. How it works right now, if you bet on your school as a student athlete, it doesn't matter what sport it is. If you are found to have done that, you are done. You lose all of your eligibility. Um, if you are found to have bet on your sport at a different school, you lose, I believe, 50% of one season. Um, and so that one bet on Iowa football could bring him down. And out of, you know, approximately, you know, 1,800, one uh, making you potentially lose your eligibility, that's a, it's a tough, it's a tough blow. But you know, it is what it is. Um, Nebraska is going to continue to deal with the situation. Um, they have involved the NCAA on this ever since they found out, which was after he transferred here. Uh, Fred said on the record the day that it happened that he did not know about Aaron's situation until Aaron had already been here, signed, enrolled, and all of those things. And he did not know about the criminal element of it until the charges were filed. So he found out like the rest of us did, um, which there could be something to say for that, but they'll leave that for another time. Um, you know, it's not looking good for his eligibility. Obviously, we need to wait and see how it plays out. But, um, you know, he, Nebraska needed a point guard and they thought that they had the answer there. And, you know, for a little while, it looked like they were going to be in a mess. And then they went and signed uh, Boogie Coleman from Ball State, which I know Young Wilson has uh, more to say about that. Um, but the one thought that I had when Coleman signed was, you know, okay, fine. Um, you know, you need a point guard, but 
Why is he available right now? Um, but yeah, I'll turn it over to Wilson, who uh, knows a little bit more about him. Yeah, I mean, to your point, it's he's probably as good as Nebraska was going to do in early August. You know, hunting in the transfer portal. He's a point guard. He's proven he can. He's proven he's good at a mid-major level, but he also uh, struggled um, in his one season playing power five ball at Mizzou. So, I mean, that was two years ago. He has, you know, another all-max season under his belt since then, but not a bad pickup for Nebraska given the situation that you don't expect this to happen. You don't expect to be making a roster move on August 5th or whatever it was that he uh, committed. So a guy, he'll at least be, you know, He's a body. He's a point guard. He's someone that can at least fill the role of what they're trying to do. Maybe not as well as an Aaron Euless might have, but he's someone they can slot in. Someone who will be at least, um, uh, you know, a steady hand, if nothing else. Yeah, I, you know, was hoping, and this is a, a bold take. Um, I was hoping that Kale Jacobson would get a little bit more love there. Yes, he's a walk-on, I know, but he played really well uh, over in Spain, and obviously the competition is not quite the same as it is, you know, against Big Ten basketball. But um, justice for Kale, that's all I'll say. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how that guard rotation uh, shakes out. Definitely a, a, a fan favorite uh, here, close close to Lincoln from Ashland, so... Uh, that's that's kind of the update for Nebraska men's basketball. You know, fr- frustrating situation, trying to gel, come together as a team. Uh, so now the the work culminated into that guard rotation uh, and move forward with that, uh, practicing together and coming together as a team in those coming months. But I think that's all we got today. <laughs> Big episode. Hope you all enjoyed uh, the different discussion. Uh, next week, as I said, we'll preview the defense, uh, see if there's any more clarity. And specialty. Yeah. See if there's any more clarity. On uh, on conference realignment, you never know. Anything can happen these days. Yeah, it can yeah. happen today, tomorrow, Saturday, whenever. We'll see. I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's always a an evolving picture. That's for sure. But we'll be here. Doesn't matter when it happens. We'll be here on the Life of the Red podcast to break it down. Uh, so as always, appreciate all of our listeners and viewers. Thanks for tuning in today, and we'll see you next week. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.